Don't you hate to be deceived? When I say it like that, it sounds kind of negative, doesn't it? What if I said, do you like surprises? Everybody likes surprises, don't they? Not all surprises are deceptive, but most all deception is a surprise. A deception runs the gambit from fun to funny to sad to even tragic at times. I remember my 12th birthday, I'd gotten some new cowboy boots. And my mother told me when I got home to go put them up in my room. And when I got to my room, all of my friends were hiding in my closet and they were hiding under my bed and they were hiding everywhere. And they jumped out, surprise! I scared me so bad I fell on the floor. (laughs) Surprises are good sometimes. Ulysses S. Grant. I read this story this week. Who, of course, was was general in the Union Army. He was also president in the late late 1860s. And he gave a cigar to a good friend, Horace Norton, who was founder of Norton College. And you remember... General Grant in those pictures when he's the general, he's got that big cigar sticking out of his mouth. And he gave one to his friend. And his friend thought so highly of General Grant, President Grant, that he didn't smoke it. He just kept it. He thought this is neat to have one of President Grant's cigars. And he, when he died, passed it on to his son. And when he died, he passed it on to his son. And in 1932, the grandson of Edward Norton, who was the president of this Norton College, and it was the 70th anniversary of the college, he was supposed to speak, and he thought he would, he would light that now famous cigar of General Grant's. And he got up there to make the speech, and he, he lit the cigar, and he's, he's telling all this good stuff about General Grant, and the cigar blew up in his face. It was a loaded cigar. All those years ago, General Grant had given his good friend a joke. And it wasn't until all that time later that the joke was perpetrated, the deception was made known to the grandson of those it was intended to. That's, that's a funny story, but in, in the year 1212, a shepherd boy named Stephen in France, he claimed that Jesus had come upon him in a vision. And he told everyone that he could about this this vision that he needed to go to the Holy Land and find the cross of Christ. 30,000 homeless children followed him across France. 30,000. And everywhere they went, everywhere they went, this is what they say, we go to God and seek for the Holy Cross beyond the sea. And they just kept gathering children and gathering children until they got to the port city of Marseille in France. And the vision said that the waters were supposed to part for them and they were supposed to walk to the Holy Land on dry ground. Well, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. But that's not the real deception. The little boy was deceived and all those 30,000 children, oh sure, they were deceived. But that's not the whole deception. They met two men, Horace Ferris and William Porcus. They met them on the dock there in Marseille in France. And these men said, 
Well, we'll put you on our ships and we'll take you to the Holy Land. And they all agreed. All 30,000 children got on those ships and they were taken to North Africa and sold into slavery. Deceived. Man has perpetrated deception over and over and over. I mean, we could just list the history. Just, just turn on the History Channel and it'll tell you deception, deception, deception. Man has perpetrated on man. The personal deceptions, the ones that happen to you and me, those are the most hurtful ones, though, aren't they? Because they're so close. Adultery. Wow. You know, when that happens to you, when you find out about that, it'll almost drive you crazy. Incest. Family lines are affected, of course, by incest. Whole family trees are affected. Friends, they'll tell you one thing and they'll do another. Family deception is, is the most common, though, and the most hurtful. Even brothers and sisters in Christ, they, they turn on each other sometimes, don't they? Plot, scheme against the church. You know, there's only one way to stop deception. And that's be honest. The deceiver needs to get honest and the deceived needs to get honest with the deceiver. Let's let Jesus show us in today's lesson in which contains our New Testament question for this week. All four Gospels speak to this incident, incident in Jesus' life. Uh, but to get a clearer picture, I'm going to mix together the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, they're already done for us. If you have a handout, uh, please look at that. Of course, it's going to be on the screen as well. And as I read the beginning of this incident, if I, as I believe, as I read the beginning of this deception in the life of Jesus, see if you can pick out the New Testament question for today. Now, this is during the Passover meal. Jesus, in humility, to show his apostles an object lesson, he began to wash their feet. He was wanting to show them how to be a servant. He washed the apostles' feet, and he's about to institute the Lord's Supper. And I'll begin reading. This is from what you have in your hand is from J.W. McGarvey's fourfold gospel. And what he does here is he, he blends the four gospels. And, and as we read, if, you'll, if you see where a number A is, well, that's Matthew. If you see where a letter B is, that's where, where Mark is. If you see where the letter C is, that's where Luke is. And where the letter D is, well, that's, that's pulling from the gospel of John. This is from the King James Version. I, I, I took this right out of Brother McGarvey's narrative. Uh, here's the complete narrative. Uh, and these, again, the letters correspond to the passages. And when Jesus had thus said, as they sat and were eating, he was troubled in spirit. And Jesus testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me, even he that eateth with me. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. The disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spoke, and they began to be were exceeding sorrowful. And they began to question among themselves which 
of them it was that should do this thing, and began to say unto him one by one, Everyone, is it I, Lord? The New Testament question we will answer today is, Is it I, Lord? It was a question that came from distressed minds. It speaks good, I believe, of the men who ask this question to Jesus. It shows they were searching themselves. They couldn't figure out within themselves what they had done if there was a problem that they had to repent of, be accountable for. And so they went to the source, the one who knew. They knew Jesus would know the answer and ask the question with, from our context, the right heart. That it, if there was something that they had done, is it I, Lord? Is it I? It, you know, they, they would have repented of this. They would have corrected this there in front of Jesus' presence. Because John writes in, in John 13, 22, the disciples looked at, the, at, looked at one another, doubting of whom he spake. And this is the way that it should be. We talked a few weeks ago about gossip. You know, it's, it's always a surprise when deceit is found in the camp, in the group, in the church. It always seems to be a surprise. It's always a shock to hear for the first time one of our brothers and sisters falling away. One of our own. And at their question, our question today comes to a head. Is it I, Lord? Is it I? Jesus gives this answer. And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve. He that dipped his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. For the Son of Man goeth as it hath been determined, even as it has written of, been written of him, and that's in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, but woe unto that man through whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good wit for that man if he had not been born. There was at the table reclining in Jesus' bosom one of the disciples who Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoneth to him and saith unto him, Tell us, who it is of whom he speaketh. He, leaning back as he was on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? If I were to tell you today if I were to tell you today that you sit with a betrayer of the church. That they may be sitting right beside you. That I say to you today, if I said it to you today, you sit with one who deceives and wants to destroy the kingdom of God. You naturally would want to know if it was you or not. You naturally would want to know of who it is that's being talked about. 
Jesus therefore answereth, It is he for whom I shall dip the sop and give it to him. Don't you love sopping up gravy on a plate? Isn't it good? Isn't it good sopping up gravy on a plate? I love it. Sopping up gravy or plate juice with a biscuit or cornbread, it's good. Melanie Parks cooked us some food this past week, some lasagna the other day. I was using my bread to sop up the scrapings on the plate, you know. And I looked over and Emmy was copying me. She was, she had her, she was looking at me at the corner of her eyes, just cute. But she was sopping her bread too. This is serious. This is not cute. This is serious. The Passover meal, you know, it had, had different elements. <clears throat> We've looked at this from the writings of John class on Wednesday nights. The Wednesday night ladies class, from what I understand, looked at the, the Paschal meal or the, or the Passover meal and the elements that were involved in that, that particular meal. And one of those is a bitter herb sauce used for sopping, used for dipping. And the other element, and it's still an important element today, we'll see, is unleavened bread. Bread without yeast. It was unleavened bread that Jesus was going to sop and give it to the apostle. Give it to the one who betrayed him. The word for dip in the Greek language is imbapto. Imbapto. To wet apart. He was only going to wet a part of it as opposed to baptizo, which is to immerse or to plunge. We understand what Jesus is about to do. He is about to dip part of His bread and give it to one of the apostles. And that apostle, He tells John, will be the betrayer, will be the deceiver, in Jesus' day, Brother McGarvey said it was customary, it was a customary courtesy for a host to sop bread and give it to a guest. And so what Jesus does is not unusual in the, in the eyes of, of the apostles, the rest of the apostles that are that are sitting around. So when he had dipped, so when he had dipped the sop, he taketh and giveth it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Judas is the betrayer. And we can read earlier in Matthew chapter 26 that Judas made a deal with the chief priest that he would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver knowing full well that he, that, that he had done this. Knowing full well Judas knew he had done this. The Bible says, And Judas who betrayed him answered and said, Is it I, Rabbi? Betrayal. Deception. Jesus knew of it first. It, it must have been very hard on Jesus. Because Jesus and Judas, they'd been together for almost, a little over three years. He had heard Jesus teach. Judas had, had seen the miracles of Jesus firsthand. Judas understood the implications. He knew who, who, he, knew who he was dealing with, and yet he still tried to get over Jesus with deception. Is it I, Rabbi? Notice he, he downgrades in his mind Jesus 
from the Lord to a teacher. He said unto him, Thou hast said. Jesus confronts the deception. That's a lesson to us today. We must confront deception. And after the sop, it says, Judas, he eats what the Lord gave him. You know, it's to bite the hand that feeds you should be reserved for only dogs. But Judas does that here. And after the sop, then entered Satan into him. Jesus therefore said unto him, What thou doest, do quickly. Judas was a thief, greedy for money. Why didn't Jesus, who, who knew the heart, know the, knows the hearts of all men, why didn't Jesus just stay quiet? at Judas's deception. Why didn't he just stay quiet and hope and, and say in his mind, well, maybe, maybe if he sticks around and sees how really good I am for a little bit longer, Judas will come back around. If I just don't say anything, maybe he won't go through with his plans. You know, I might make him mad. He might not want to follow me again. If I make him mad... But you see, Jesus confronted him, and this solidified the feelings in Judas's heart. He didn't have to portray the Lord. He didn't have to. He acted of his, of his own free will for the betrayal to begin with the 30 pieces of silver earlier in the chapter. It started here. It started in Judas's heart. Judas must have found himself dissatisfied with the Lord's plans, with the Lord's purposes for some reason. And after Judas left to carry on his deception, Judas institutes something that we all hold in common. All those who are Christians, we hold this in common with the apostles that night, the Lord's Supper. This morning, and some of you tonight, will sup with the Lord. We are commanded to do this on the first day of every week. And I stand here today and tell you that some of you are betrayers. Some of you, this morning and last night, you reached your hand into the plate. And you grabbed out some of that same kind of bread that Jesus had on that first supper. And you reached your hand in there all the while knowing you were a deceiver. Jesus wants to know, is it you? Is it you? How about you? Is it you? Are you the betrayer? Look back at our passage. When the disciples heard this, they were distraught. Are you? Are you distraught that I'd even say such a thing? 
Peter asked John, ask Jesus who it is. John did so. And Jesus said, the one whom I dip the bread and give it to. That's the one. That's the one who it is. John, at least, maybe even Peter knew. They, they may not have known what the Lord wanted Judas to do quickly, it says, but they knew he was the betrayer. And Christian, you don't live on an island. Someone here knows that it's you who betray Jesus openly, weekly, daily. They were distraught. Are you? They were distraught that it, it may be them. That it may be one of them. Are you distraught that some of your brothers and sisters this very evening are deceivers? Or like Judas, are you mad I even asked the question? Jesus therefore answereth, He it is for whom I shall dip the sop and give it to him. Is it you? When confronted with God's truth, how do you react? We know of many in the history of Fountainhead who have gotten mad and just left. That was their reaction. But we know of many others who have humbled themselves and, and repented when confronted with the truth. When faced with God's truth, many gladly accept it. They did after Peter preached the first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. In Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian gladly accepted the message preached by Philip and was baptized. But when faced with the truth found only in God's Word, many, sadly, declined salvation. I mean, what if Judas, when confronted by the Lord, had fell prostrate on the ground and said, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry I've deceived you, Lord. Will you please forgive me, Lord? Do you think the Lord would have forgiven him? Oh, yeah. Jesus would have. But many, when faced with that very same moment that they could obey the Lord God Almighty, they sadly declined. Matthew chapter 19, verse 22, when faced with the following Jesus or giving up His worldly possessions, when faced with following Jesus or giving up His worldly possessions, the rich young man declined to follow Jesus. And what's the Bible say? He went away sorrowful. In Acts chapter 26, verse 28, when faced with the truth, when asked by Paul if he agreed, King Agrippa said, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. You are faced today with the implication that you are a liar. How do you react? Gladly accept and humbly repent? Is that how you'll react? Or... Will you sadly decline and once again walk away lost? Some react to God's truth with anger and hate. 
And I echo Paul when he said in Galatians chapter 4, verse 16, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Some, like the governor Felix in Acts 24, they delay any action when faced with the truth. Some, when faced with the truth, are indifferent and they ignore the truth. And the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those that heard it. And, you know, without faith, Hebrews 11 verse 6, it's impossible to please God. Some react to God's truth by standing in direct opposition to that truth. Why would anyone want to squash any of God's truth? Some do. Some do, and they do so under the guise of, well, that's too harsh. You're going to run people off by saying that. Well, would you please get out of the way and let God's Word do its work? How dare some oppose God and say His counsel and His truth won't work? The Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4 told Peter and John not to speak about Jesus, but they answered, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. If the truth of God is spoken and you're embarrassed, whose problem is it? It's not God's. You judge. Whose problem is it? God's truth will not be changed for you. God's truth will not be changed for me. God's truth will not be changed for our loved ones. For the words of Christ will judge us on the last day. John chapter 12 verse 48. But even when the truth is right in front of some like Judas... Even when the truth is right in front of them, and like some of you, the Lord is still portrayed. And the question still stands, is it you? How do we betray the Lord? Well, plots are thick. Willful sin runs rampant. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 26, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Judas did what he did for 30 pieces of silver. What did it cost you? How much did you get paid? I bet a lot less. I bet the last time you deceived and you betrayed the Lord, it cost a lot less than 30 pieces of silver. But you were paid. You were paid nonetheless. You rejected the Lord. You deceived the Lord. You betrayed the Lord Jesus for a price. You have committed spiritual adultery.
What did you do? What did you do to commit spiritual adultery? Well, it says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, that you've left your first love. Like Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, you've left the Lord for the world deceitfully because everyone thinks you're all that. All of the disciples, you know, they didn't catch what Jesus said to Judas. They didn't all catch it. They didn't catch it when, they, when He said, do what you've got to do, you do it quickly. They didn't understand, except for maybe Peter and John. They all thought He was off on some Lord's errand. But Jesus knew better. And Judas knew better. Let me tell you something, Fountainhead. If you leave here tonight without making it right with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you know better too. God hates deceit. He hates it. Deceit comes from the heart, Mark chapter 7, verse 22. And God hates a deceitful man, the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 5 and verse 6. But the wicked are full of deceit. Look at this passage from from Romans chapter 1. Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whisperers, backbiters, Have I gotten to any of y'all yet? Haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Did Did I hit a nail on the head then? Undiscerning, untrustworthy. Do I just need to stop? Is it getting that bad? Unloving. Unforgiving. Did I get to you yet? Unmerciful. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same but also approve of those who practice them. Is it our Lord? Do you ask it of yourself? Is, is, is any of that me? Is it I? In the world we live in, it's full of false doctrines. It's full of false teachers, false ways, blind guides. And the proper attitude does not encourage falsehood. The proper attitude does not encourage falsehood, but fights against falsehood, fights against false teachers. Proper attitude does not encourage falsehood. Second John chapter 9 verse 11 and has no fellowship with darkness. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11 and like Jesus we are to stand up to the deceitful. Like Paul resisted Peter in Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 14 because Peter was a hypocrite. Peter was a hypocrite. We are to Romans chapter 16 verse 17 Note those who cause division 
and offenses. Mark them. The proper attitude is that of the psalmist in Psalm 119.104. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Thy word... Let's sing it. Let's sing that song. And, and let me tell you something. Let me warn you. Don't sing a lie. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When I feel afraid, I think I've lost my way. Still you're right there beside me. Nothing will I fear as long as you are near. Please be near me to the end. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will not forget your love for me and yet I'll forever be wandering. Jesus be my guide, hold me by your side. I will love you to the end. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Matthew 6.33, put God first in all things. Is it I? That's the proper attitude. Deceit cannot save. Only truth can. And remember, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look back at the beginning, Matthew chapter 26, in your handout there. Matthew chapter 26, verse 22. When the disciples heard that one of them was the betrayer, look at their attitude. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to Him, Lord, is it I? Are you full of godly sorrow which leads to repentance? Ask yourself, Lord, is it I? If you need to be baptized and have your sins washed away, or if you need help, if you need prayer, you recognize it is I. I am the deceiver. Don't do like Judas and walk out on Jesus tonight. That's what it says it does. That's what he said he did. Judas, it was night when he walked out. 
Don't walk out on Jesus tonight. Don't, don't walk out a deceiver. Take care of things right now. J Judas had an opportunity at one time. And you've got the opportunity tonight. Don't waste it. Come right now. Is it you that will come tonight as we stand and sing?